words of your goodness spread across the earth. Endless stories of the wonders of the wonder worker. You are worthy of your fame. Testimonies from the broken show you still heal wounds. And we named you the way maker, cause you made a way through. You are worthy of your fame. And we know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know, yeah. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know that you
In the church Bibles this morning to page 1406. It's toward the very back of the Bible, 1406, beginning in Revelation this morning. We'll end up on 1407. Real quick, um, the Lord gave my mom some healing, and she's made it back to the nursing home. Blessing for that. Still really weak, so we're going to pray for strength there, and the Lord will just continue to work uh, his perfect will there. And we'll continue to remember the Placencia family. They've got a funeral, Martin's funeral to go to, the 21st, I believe, of August. So we'll be praying for their trip and their family. They prepare for, for Martin's funeral out there. And then we want to keep um, Angelica and uh, Rubia in our prayers. Their grandmother is not doing well. She's in the Harris Hospital in Fort Worth right now. So we'll remember her this week and pray for her healing, for God to be with them. This morning, we uh, I just kept hearing the last few days that Revelation is so appropriate because some major, I feel like God is revealing some major truths to our church right now. And uh, the word revelation just kept coming to me. So I feel like I've been led to this verse this morning. Of course, this is the, the book that John wrote uh, as he got revelation from Christ himself in visions. And these first few verses, four through six, are amazing verses that we can read this morning. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we can only stand amazed, Lord, of your mighty uh, grace and your mercy and the revelation that you would allow us to, to see. Lord, that you would open our eyes to, to know more truth about you today. We thank you for this time together. I thank you for each of each uh, person here. Lord, I pray that our hearts are open. And, uh, Lord, we our eyes, Lord, are hungry to see what you have for us today. Give us uh, humility as we come before you in praise and worship today. And we do thank you for the answered prayers. And we pray, God, that you continue to work uh, in my mom's life, um, physically and spiritually. And I pray, God, that you would continue to be with the Placencia family, and, Lord, you would work your perfect will for each of those family members as they uh, prepare to say farewell to Martin. And, uh, and we'd also pray, God, that you would be with uh, Angela and Angela, Angelica and uh, Rubia and her grandmother as they, Lord, continue to have some struggles with her health. We pray, God, that you would be there with the doctors, give them wisdom, but above all, all these families would feel your presence and your name be lifted high uh, through your mighty name, through your grace, through your comfort, and through your healing. We bless you for today, Lord. We thank you of this revelation that you gave John. And Lord, we thank you that you would continue to teach us things from your word, from your truth, and through your spirit. We bless you today in all these things. We pray in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.
there with you. There is no kingdom, authority, power like yours. No one more royal, no other loyal than one God, one truth. No other kingdom, no other freedom like yours. You are It's there you fight for me and then 
Good morning. Great worship leading us into studying God's amazing word. And I'm so excited about this uh, opportunity to talk about um, chapter 8 in Romans. Romans is a fabulous, amazing understanding of what a church should look like and what uh, a believer's life should look like. And particularly as we come into chapter 8, some things that God wants to share with us and I think help us to understand some things that have been misunderstood and, and um, mistaught through some of our lives. So last week, Daniel did a, a, an amazing job of teaching the last part of chapter 7. So if you haven't had an opportunity to hear that message, you should go in and listen to it. And he talked a little bit about things that sometimes seem confusing when Paul is writing and did a great job of helping us to understand that Paul is not saying that he continues to sin after he surrendered his life to Jesus, but rather he is seeing how even as a Pharisee of Pharisees, how powerless he is against the things of the flesh and that only through the spirit, only through Jesus can he have any hope. In fact, I want to look at the last couple of verses in that chapter as we lead in. <clears throat> so chapter 7, verse 13, it's on page 1300. Page 1300. So Paul, as I said, was a Pharisee of Pharisees, so he knew the law. And in this place, the Torah, the law of Moses, he knew all of the places that would look like you were walking in holiness if you could keep those. But what Paul did is he tried to keep them. He tried to keep them. But when he tried to do the right thing, he still did the wrong thing. And, and his, he, he was in this uh, struggle wanting to do the right things but finding himself struggling to do so. And that's when he comes to verse 24 and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And when he talks about the body of death, he's really talking about his flesh. Throughout this, he uses interchangeably the word flesh and body. <clears throat> so he's not talking about his physical body He's talking about his spiritual body that is going to be condemned because of the law of sin and death. Does that make sense? So he says, who can deliver me from this body of death? This place that he is deserving to die because of the law of sin and death. And he speaks in verse 25 and he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's an exclamation point. I see that Paul is just, he's just overjoyed with seeing the truth of what Jesus did. 
He's saying, there's no way, even though I was the best of all Pharisees, I could not, I could not make myself righteous. But thank God, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, Paul sees that this is the only way. In fact, he goes on to say, so men... With the, <clears throat> so men, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. I'm sorry, men. I don't know why I said men. So then, yeah, I'll put my glasses back on. With the mind, I myself serve the law of God. I want you to understand what he's saying right there. He's saying that in this place where he j just had seen that he was not capable of making himself righteous. That only through Jesus. So then he says, so then, so then, he's saying, you understand this. With the mind, I myself serve the law of God. You see, it's a choice. He's saying, with my mind, I made a choice to serve the law of God, not the law of sin and death. And he goes on to say that, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So he's saying, I made a choice that with my mind, I would go with the law of God. The law of God, what would that be? How men could be made righteous. It's the gospel. It's the understanding of the gospel. It's not the Torah. The Torah is instructions for life. The Torah is the law that God gave us to understand and to look at our lives and see if we, in fact, are walking out what he has done. But the law of God is the gospel that through the death and burial of Je and resurrection of Jesus, man could be made righteous. If you go back and look at Romans 1 through 6, that's all that Paul's talking about, right? He's talking about how could men be made righteous before God because of their sinful nature born into them because of Adam. That's kind of the summary of the first six chapters of Romans. So now he's saying that, <clears throat> so then, with my mind, he's decided in his mind to make a choice. And the choice is to serve God's laws, the law of God. To align with God's purpose and his plan and his ways. That's what he's saying. <clears throat> but with the flesh, the law of sin. But when he's, he's saying, but if I don't do that, then I serve the law of sin out of my flesh. 
But I make that choice. It's real important that we understand these verses exactly as Paul is writing them to be able to go into chapter 8. Now, what I want you to also remember is Paul is writing a letter. It didn't have chapters and it didn't have verses. So all of this went together. It wasn't like he completed a thought in 7 and then had a whole new thought in 8. That's not the case at all. It all flows together. <clears throat> so he's not changing his understanding from what we were just talking about. You understand that? Everybody with me? Okay, going into chapter 8 then. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Therefore, he's talking about what he's just said. He's saying, because of that, I'm about to tell you the, the next thought here. So he's tying together what we were just talking about in chapter 7 into chapter 8. And he says, therefore, now no, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So this verse, oh my goodness, if there's a verse... <clears throat> Excuse me. Lord, help my voice be clear. <clears throat> Thank you, Raul, for always giving me some water. <laughs> um, okay. If there's any verse that frustrates me in the Bible about how it's taught, it's this verse. You can put that down and say this one aggravates Deborah the most because it is used in a way to excuse our sin. So people will say, if you say something to them that, you know, <clears throat> they might be walking out of alignment of the fullness that God has for them, if, they, if you see someone that's... Um, stretching the understandings of what God wants for their life, then their very go-to scripture is this right here. And in their thoughts, it should shut everyone up. And what they say is, uh -uh, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so they quote half of the scripture out of context with what we just talked about. And what they're saying is, is that you can't judge me. That's what they're saying. So I love this because when I started studying very early on, the Lord said to me, he said, look up this word condemnation in the dictionary. And so I looked it up and it means the expression of strong disproval and there's so people are saying you can't have disproval strong disproval 
in what I'm doing because I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm excused is what they're saying. You can't judge me. I'm excused because, you know, I'm saying I'm in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm walking in my flesh and doing what I want to do, but I'm choosing to say I'm in Christ Jesus. I love this. So the Lord said, he said, look up the parallels for different translations of this, of this verse. So I started looking up the different translations in the parallel. Every one of them that I was coming across was using this word condemnation. There is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. And I thought, Lord, what are you wanting me to see? And I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked. And then there was at the bottom of all of them, it said more. I thought, okay, wonder what else is there. So I hit more, and now it showed me the, some of the very earlier translations, and it didn't say condemnation. It said damnation. It said damnation, which means, and I looked it up there to see what it would mean at this point in time, it means the punishment So the punishment from the law of sin and death is what it's talking about, that there is no longer a punishment for death if you are in Christ Jesus. You have to hear this. So what this is saying is there is, therefore now, no punishment for death To those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's just explaining what he's explained in chapter 20, I mean, chapter 7, verse 25. He's saying that if you're in Christ Jesus, the death penalty has been overcome. That's what he's saying. But he goes on to explain this so well. He says, who do not walk according to the flesh. In other words, those who have done what Paul is saying in 25, that they have in their mind made a choice to die to the flesh, to die to the things they want, to live and walk in the ways of Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So it says, therefore, there is no punishment of death. You see, Jesus, through Jesus, what happened? He overcame the penalty of death. That you are no longer under that penalty because he took that penalty for me. I cannot tell you. This is the whole Bible. To change this one verse, 
discredits everything that's written in the Bible. Because what Paul is saying, the very thing that I have said to you, is that when God showed me my sin, what he showed me is I was deserving of death. And at that point in time, I was. But when I surrendered my life and I died to my flesh... <clears throat> I was no longer condemned. I was no longer in condemnation. I was no longer in damnation under the punishment of death. Jesus took that death for me. He died on the cross in my place. That's exactly what he's talking about. Now let's go on and look in verse 2. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Isn't that exactly what he was saying in one? Yes. For the law of the spirit. What is the law of the spirit of life? I want, I want you to put your marker here. <clears throat> and I want you to look at a couple of verses. First of all, let's look on page 910, Jeremiah 31. Oh. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31 on page 910. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Okay, look at verse 33. It says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So I'm going to take my laws. Do you see that? my laws, and I will put them in their minds and write them on their hearts. Now, turn with me to, I just want you to see this, Hebrews 10. Let me grab that for you. That's on page 1380. No, and it's not Hebrews 10, I don't think. Let me see. Yes, Hebrews 10. Verse 16, it says, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws. What laws is he talking about? He's talking about the Torah. He's talking about the laws that he gave to Moses that Moses brought down to the children of Israel that they might know how to walk out holiness in God's eyes. 
Would it make them holy? No. It never made them holy. Now, what God did in his goodness is he gave them away, knowing they were going to break the laws. He gave them away to be able to be restored, and they would do this through the sacrificial system of lambs and goats and and bulls. Okay? So it's those laws that they were not able to keep. I want you to get this in your head because it says, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them um, in their, uh, I'm sorry, I, I put into their hearts and in their minds and I will write them. Um, then I want you to turn with me to page John 8, page 1232. Daniel used this scripture last week, and I loved it. Actually, I don't want to use this one just yet. Let's go to John 14. That's where I want to go. John 14. It's going to be on 1242. Verse 15. And it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. What commandments is he talking about? He's talking about the law. He's talking about the Torah. He's talking about the instructions that he gave to the children of Israel. Then he says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be with you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a helper. To do what? To be able to keep God's laws and his ways. And to walk in the spirit of life. He's giving you the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at one other place here. Uh, right across the page there is on verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. What is he talking about? He's going to bring all the truth that Jesus has been giving them that they would be able to walk in it. Now you go back to... uh, Romans, on page 1300, go back to your marker, 
And Paul is writing from this understanding that he understands so clearly from Jesus' teaching. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit. What is the law of the spirit? The law of the spirit is to be a helper to help you to walk out the things that bring life through Christ Jesus. Keeping the law will not save you. Okay, I tried, I did this, I did this, I did this, Lord, I should be saved. No, that will never save you. The law was never intended to save anybody. It never did save anybody because in the Old Testament, they could not keep it. Why are we still under the law then? Why? People say, well, we're not under the law. You can't keep it. That's not true. You are under the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus that helps you what? Walk out his commandments. He said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. How? The law of the Spirit, the helper, is going to come and help you. Does that seem difficult? No, it's pretty clear. Paul is bringing Jesus' understanding into these words. And he's saying, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and then listen to what it says, has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit was given when Jesus died and was buried, rose again, and then was raised up. The spirit was sent. Jesus, through what he did, made us free from what? The law of sin and death. That we might be able to walk in the law of the Spirit. Does that make more sense to say it that way? Let's go on and see what else he tells us. Verse 3. For what the law, and that's talking about the Torah. If you want to write that in there, that'll help you right there. That the law, what the law could not do in that it was weak, through the flesh. It was weak because it, 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 it had no, nothing, no, it was powerless. It was only able to do what the flesh did with it. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So he's saying the Torah was never supposed to make people righteous. And it says right here, it could not do it. It was weak. It was worthless in that regard. It was for a purpose. But to make men righteous, it could not do. It could not change human nature. Does that make sense? So the law could never change human nature. What, was, what is human nature? To walk in sin. So the law could never do that, but it says in verse 3, God did it. God did it. He changed human nature. By sending his own son... And listen to this, 
in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Listen, God sent Jesus. He had to be born in flesh. Why? Because he had to overcome sin in his flesh. So he was born in a sinful nature. Jesus was in the flesh. He was fully man and fully God. Sometimes we get our eyes fixed on a place and say he was only God and we don't recognize the truth of what he really did and had to do to be a true substitution for who you are. He had to be born fully man, sinful nature, but he never sinned. If he didn't have a sinful nature, then why did Satan come and tempt him? Satan thought he would sin. If he didn't have a sinful nature, then why in the garden, when he's gone to the garden and he's praying and he comes before the Father and he says, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. That's coming out of his flesh for just a second. But immediately, before those words hardly get out of his mouth, he returns to the Father and says, Not my will, but yours. Fully man fully God, fulfilling the righteousness laid out in the law. He had to, or he could not have stood in my place and taken the punishment for me. Then it says, okay, let's read all this together. Verse 3, it says, For what the law, the Torah, could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness. So if anybody argues with you and says, no, Jesus was not born in a, a sinful flesh, you say, yes, it was. Paul wrote it right there, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Right? That throws people into a rigor. On the account of sin, he condemned. What did he do? It's the same word. He punished death. He punished sin and death in the flesh. He took the punishment for sin. That's what he's talking about right there. He condemned. See, that doesn't make much sense to us, does it? It's kind of like this word over here. It doesn't make good sense to us. 
What do you mean he condemned sin in the flesh? Doesn't make much sense. He judged it. Well, yeah, yeah, but that's not exactly right, is it? But what he did is he took on the punishment for sin in his flesh. Verse 4. Let me see if there's anything else I want to tell you right here. Okay, verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. He took the punishment. He walked in a sinless place and yet took the punishment that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. A substitution for your sin. Do you see that? You see, God in the Torah was showing us, if you break one of my laws, there has to be a sacrifice. Right? There has to be a sacrifice to bring you, what, back into right standing before the Father. And so as a a precursor, as a... uh, foreshadow before Jesus they would sacrifice bulls and lambs and goats but it was never their blood for the remission of sin it was only a foreshadow of what Jesus would come and do that the righteous requirement of a lamb without blemish a spotless lamb that had walked this earth without one sin. Not one sin. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us as he is our substitution. But here's the thing. You can't just say, okay, I, you know, I sinned a little bit, but Jesus died, so I'm okay. It says that uh, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is only for a small group of people. people. People would say, why do you say it's for a small group? Because Jesus said the road is narrow. The gate is narrow because there's going to be only a small group of people that this is for. And Paul is saying that very clearly. If you're walking in your flesh and thinking you're okay, you are in a dark place that brings you to death. It says only Jesus can set you free from that sin and death. 
And if you are thinking you're okay just because Jesus died, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying you have to be walking according to the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? It's your helper to do what? Obey the commandments. Walk in God's righteousness, walking in his ways. Paul is telling us exactly what Jesus says. All right, let's go right on because he comes on and helps us to even see it any, even more. Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Yeah, it's a choice. Paul is saying, you want to do the things you want to do? You're living in the flesh. Just be real about it. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. It's a choice. Do you want to walk in your own ways? Fine, you're in the flesh. Just know it. If you're choosing to walk in the things that the Spirit will help you walk in, he'll bring them all to mind. He will say to you, Deb, you can't be here. And you will have a choice right then to choose what you do with it. That's the helper. He will help me to know when I'm out of alignment that I may choose. Hmm. But I've talked to people and, and they say, well, I just can't get out of this sin. I just can't get it. I said, well, you're not choosing to get out of the sin. Okay. Verse 6 says, for to be carnally, what does that mean? In the flesh, carnally minded, is death. So here's the thing. If you want to go your own way and do your own things, that's fine. Just know where you are and that it leads to death. But to be spiritually minded is life and shalom, peace. Peace between you and God. which will bring peace in your life. doesn't mean everything goes perfectly like you want it to, but there will be a peace in your life because you are in peace between you and God. Verse 7, because the carnal mind, the mind that is in the flesh, deciding what you want to do, is enmity against God. Hostile, wow, hostile against God. And um, I want to look up, a, I want to look for a scripture right here. Uh, put your marker right here and I, let's turn back to Exodus 20. It's on page 83.
You know, really and truly, Paul writes nothing on his own. Everything is from the Old Testament. You just you are from Jesus. He's either quoting from the Old Testament understandings or he's quoting from Jesus. It's not that he's made up some new ideas. So this is what we call the Ten Commandments. And I want to start in verse 4. And uh, it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. It's this understanding of enmity. It's this understanding of being hostile against the things of God. It actually helps me to understand. It means turning against the things of God to go your own way. It's the same place that God was telling the children of Israel, if you turn to your own ways, if you walk in your own flesh, if you do what you want to do, I will bring iniquity. I'm sorry. I will bring generational curses upon the sins for generations to the third and fourth generation. You want to do your own way? Fine, just know that it comes with a cost. It comes with a cost for death for you, and it comes with a cost of generations, the third and fourth, three and four generations down. They will come under a curse. For those who are not willing to walk in the Spirit. You go back to Romans and help me understand this place that Paul is writing in verse 7. He says, because the carnal mind is enmity, hostile, turned away from God, turned to your own ways. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Can't be subject, it does its own way. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you. If, 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 if you are in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God dwells in you. Not if you say you are a Christian. Not if you go to church. Not if you're a good person. Not if, you know, you're doing all the right things. No. None of that puts you in a place of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. He says, don't deceive yourself. You're not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. And if Christ 
is in you. The body, the flesh, is dead. You see, he's saying you can't serve two masters. You can't serve the flesh and excuse yourself as that it's just a little sin. God's okay with it. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve Christ and the flesh. It says the body, the flesh, is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. But because of righteousness, you have life because you are in right standing with the Father. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. I love this verse. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So, for a long time, I thought this was talking about because we're in Christ, you're in Christ Jesus, then at the day of resurrection, he will raise you up with the same power that he rose Jesus, right? And I think that is true, but I don't think that's what this verse is talking about. Here's why. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, when would that be? Now. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I think it's talking about today. I think he is saying the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you today that you might walk in holiness for his glory. The same power. When I saw this, I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, how shallow we are. How shallow we are to think that the Holy Spirit is not that powerful. What he's saying is the same spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, that's your helper to lead you and guide you in everything of your life. In all that you do, he will bring to mind what you should be doing and where you should be walking and what will bring glory to God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. Not so I can boast, but that I might walk out his truths and others might see. Yeah. Oh, what a great plan. I want to finish up with these last few scriptures here. Verse 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He says you have a debt. This doesn't come free. 
I've thought about so many times, and I've heard pastors say, it's a free gift, you know, just you just receive. It's easy to come and receive. No, Paul is saying there's a debt that you owe. Because why? Because Jesus paid the cost of my penalty. So he's saying, he's saying, therefore, brethren, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, you don't owe the flesh anything, to live according to it. For, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. These are sons of God. Are you a son? Are you a daughter of the Most High? This is a powerful, powerful, powerful understanding that should grab each of us to be challenged. Does the Spirit of God dwell in us? Does he dwell in you? If he does then I pray that you leave here today recognizing the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That you might walk in power and authority and that those around you might see. If you do not believe that the Spirit of God dwells in you, because you have not died to yourself. You have not seen that there is a debt that you owe to the one who is willing to die for you, or willing, did die, willingly did die for you. I pray that you'll be challenged today, and I pray that you won't leave here without running before him falling on your face that he might cover you with his righteousness that you might be in right alignment with the Lord when you leave here today if you'll stand with me and if um, there's any place our elders can pray with you we would love to share this walk with you in the back thank you